G'day everyone, welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast Series. I'm going to take a slightly different perspective on the leadership question and very much focus on the issue of communication. Now, my guest today is the founder and managing director of Unitive Consulting. Can I welcome to the podcast, Joe Ringer? How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Mate, thank you for coming along. So uh, before we do get started, a bit of background on you. Why the area of consulting and education and marketing as part of what, what you do? Why that as an industry sector to be working in? I kind of grew into it through a variety of different roles. Uh, you know, in, in my corporate career, did a, you know, a variety of roles across the uh, the spectrum and kind of really more gravitated to leadership change, those sort of factors of business and organisations that uh, require humans to interact and work together well. Understanding the human being in the workplace, mate, that's an ongoing challenge. So let, let's start at question one, if we could then, Joe. Leader communication. Give me the give me a sense of the good, the bad, and the ugly from your perspective. That's a good question to start with, and I think it can take us down a variety of different paths. But, you know, for me, some of the top, you know, aspects of good communication from a leadership perspective is, you know, transparency, I think is is one of those. Definitely working, you know, change is constant. It's always around us, right, in, in our organisations. And that uh, quote's probably been done to death, but the only constant in life is change, but it still, you know, holds true. And, um, and I think that, you know, previous efforts around driving change, whether it's organisational transformation or restructures or, you know, M&A or whatever it might be that you're trying to achieve as an organisation or with your teams, there's been tended to be like a very hierarchical top-down approach to communication, or at least it was, you know, 80s, 90s, and then started changing um, as we sort of moved into the new millennia. And so transparency is always key, I think, because humans you know smell bs right you know they know <laughs> when a leader is not being authentic you know and you've probably you and your listeners have probably heard a lot of the work of Brene brown as well and uh her work on you know vulnerability and i think that's really critical and timely for you know where we're at in terms of developing our sort of understanding of leadership and our understanding of uh, leadership culture so they're kind of some key things there. I could call out a few others, but uh, I mean, does that kind of resonate with you? Yeah, it does, mate. I so as part of the podcast process, as much as I'm uh, helping the discuss the discussion to progress, which is my job, I'm trying to learn from those that I'm talking to, and communication often comes up as part of the process for for more effective leadership. And I am still on the fence with regard to ranking the importance of communications as a core leader capability, because I I don't think you can escape that. But I also look at things like strategic thinking and foresight as other critical leader capabilities. And if I'm being fed income about what I'm hearing from my guests, guests, I think these things meld together in a way that they're all reliant on each other to get more effective leadership. So someone with a vision and an ability to, to map out a roadmap to get there, whatever that looks like, if they can't communicate that, then you're not going to get people buying onto the vision or where you need to go. But at the same time, you could be the best speaker in the world, but if you don't have a direction, then you're not going to go anywhere either. So I think there's um, a level of mutual dependence on some of these capabilities. So it very much strikes true for me what you're saying and the, this idea that 
we're experiencing continual change is something we can't escape. And it's something I'd like to talk to you about when we get to the question around COVID. But I'd maybe throw something back to you as a, a bit more of a deep dive into this first question, if, if I could, mate. Appetite for ambiguity and how you communicate, how does communication play a role when you're dealing with ambiguity? And do you see a link between the two and potentially with the leader function? Yeah, 100%. I mean, so back to what you were saying there, firstly, about them being you know, interrelated, I, I don't kind of hold a view that, you know, there's one leadership competence that ranks, outranks another, and it's um, they mutually dependent in many, you know, different contexts. So it's not like you've got a nicer uh, competency hierarchy and it's all laid out in the spreadsheet. You know, we see those, we've all got those models in our organisation and they're important and they serve their purpose, but uh, it's a little bit more um, complex than that in the actual day to day so back to you know ambiguity and communication so dealing with ambiguity is a key competence of a leader absolutely that is increasingly so in you know a world that uh, is accelerating in its shifts and uh, changes and you know how our organizations are needing to adapt to it you know you've probably heard other guests talk about the VUCA model you know volatile uncertain complex ambiguous you know that that uh, model that's come come from the uh, originated from the US defense force. But this communication really comes back to the heart when it comes to ambiguity. It ties in again with transparency and vulnerability because, you know, sometimes you're not going to have all the answers. So gone are the days where the leader needs to have all the answers, but they have to be able to have that ability to communicate and lead people through the change and lead them through you know, the dark places, the confusing places, the the parts that we don't have the full picture yet, right? And so there's a, a there's a kind of a dance that goes with that, so to speak, in terms of knowing when it's the right time to be more directive in your communication and knowing when it's time to be more collaborative. And so that really comes down to sort of, you know, learning to communicate as a leader. And I think that ties a lot to self-awareness really and um, and being present you know, strategic thinking is critically important, but it's the implementation of that strategy in the day-to-day that, you know, really is where the rubber hits the road. I see loads of organisations and uh, with uh, great plans and, you know, but, you know, then those plans just sit there and uh, you look back a year later or two years later and, you know, what did we do about those? Well, we really didn't, <laughs> you know, execute on those like we said we were going to. Yeah, agreed. I think what I, I know that I'm seeing, at least in the professional uh, circles that I that I work in, that often uh, strategic thinking is confused for strategic planning. The two are very different functions. One is a leader capability, and the other is a process to get from A to B and C and beyond. And I think the the pitfalls of doing for example, strategic planning wrong is understanding that communication needs to be embedded in that process because you need to tell people where you're going. And not only as a roadmap, but this idea about taking people with you, and I've heard that quite a bit, and being present for them when things go wrong is all based on how you communicate what it is that your values are and where you think you need to go. And I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned um because I haven't heard it a lot, is the picking your time and knowing, and this is, I guess, the art of being a good, sorry, an effective leader, is picking when you're directive and picking when you want to get collaboration or some other form of 
movement amongst your your teams, as an example. And uh, you set up, Joe, a good uh, segue into the next question around communication as a fundamental leadership skill. So I, I know before you said it's hard to rank them, but do you think it's up there, if there was an up there, that it, it's up there as one of the key ones? Without good communication, I think your efforts as a leader would, you know, would definitely slow. Uh, and I think you run high levels of risk around, you know, disengagement, satisfaction, performance of your team, um, you know, or those that you're leading, you know. And I think that's true, whether that's just communicating internally, but then also with external stakeholders as well, whether that's, um, you know, with other organisations or community stakeholders, you know, whether it's partners, et cetera. So this communications ecosystem as a leader has become even more complex as we start to recognise, you know, as organisations, our broader corporate social responsibilities and environmental environmental responsibilities and you know, responsibilities to our worker workers. A lot of organisations are starting to really explore this uh, idea of, you know, creating profit but doing that in a sustainable way, and you know, balancing profit, people, and planet. And so, if you kind of think about that model, then the skills of communication become even more important because it's not just you know your communication to your direct reports or your, um, your your team. It's about this ecosystem that's basically making the organization successful or functioning or not healthy in the you know if you're looking at it in the in the negative yeah uh, this is why i like the podcasting process so i'll try and do a bit of a deeper dive into comms being a, a critical leader skill set to have now you you work in that um that's for me that strange world of consulting you're out there doing stuff with organizations and without naming a particular organization do you find that part of any issue that you might encounter has a communications element to it that's potentially gone awry? Not necessarily wrong communication because that's subjective, but just comms that have either not existed or there's some there's some break in that system that needs to be addressed. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, most of our clients are you know large tech technology vendors or service providers, etc. and you know, they all have their own cultures, which you're communicating. But, the, you know, let's just take, for example, a consulting project. If we haven't scoped things um, properly at the beginning, you know, that's a communications activity in terms of alignment of, you know, expectations, uh, understanding and all of those uh, attributes. It's not just a one-way piece. And so that reminds me really, it's, it's, this communication is uh, always iterative and it's a process and it's evolving. And so getting that alignment of understanding expectations, you know, making sure we're on the same page, you know, really is kind of the starting point for the work that we do and, and then supporting that process. So, you know, linking back to what you were saying before about strategic, the difference between strategic planning and strategic intent, even the planning processes in organisations are having to change when it comes to strategy because they used to be very, you know, top-down oriented and now they're becoming much more agile and iterative themselves so they can adapt more quickly. And I, I think this is uh, the evolving nature of our understanding of communication. It's not just about the words we speak and how we say it or the techniques that we use. It's really just about, you know, how we're showing up and engaging and interacting in the workplace. Couldn't agree more with that. I, I guess one question from the that I have for you from your experiences in that 
work environment and this comes from some wisdom that's been imparted to me from previous guests and and, and my own travels around around the joint is that if you're going to be a more effective communicator now shoot me down if if, if this if you don't agree because the purpose of the discussion here is that you should be doing more listening than talking if you're really going to get to the nub of issues that um, you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason and that you should be listening more uh, intently and do and so the second part of the question is well first part being do we listen to the degree that we need to or as much as we need to and do you believe that the skill of being a good active listener is not a, is not something that is uh, naturally gifted to people that you have to learn to be a good listener yeah, no, I do. I, I think there's a few things, dimensions to listening. And I think this is, again, comes back to leadership, you know, individual leadership development and self-awareness that as we become more aware of the things that hold us back or the, and the way that we're made as an individual, like we're not trying to kind of make robots or anything, but we're trying to become more authentic versions of ourselves, um, essentially. But as we go through that process, I think we learn the art of letting go of the layers that hold us to a specific point of view or a specific way of things being in the world, you know, being black or white or having to be our way. And a lot of us do get trapped, you know, trying to drive a certain outcome and not being present. And I think presence and is a really key skill for all of us to practice and learn uh, in terms of Uh, leadership communication i mean let's take this podcasting process for example you know um you could uh you know said to me joe here's i want to interview on you know leadership and communication and i could do a whole leap of preparation and have all my notes and then uh you know say i've got to cover this i've got to do this i've got it but if i if i'm kind of in that zone when you're talking i'm naturally thinking about you know what am i saying next but what i really should be doing is all right, let's tune into what Eric's, you know, saying, where's this conversation going? Where is it leading us? And then we're going to have a much deeper, more insightful discussion. So I've kind of answered it in a roundabout way, but I think definitely, you know, listening, there's that altruism, right? Two ears, one mouth. Um, but we, I, I don't think there's any human or any leader that doesn't struggle to be better, a better listener in all contexts. You know, I think it's definitely something we can learn. Yeah, agreed. I, I, and I'm not discounting the the day to day pressures that leaders are under, the day to day pressure that teams are under, and I think it's just easier to circumvent good active listening and just get to the nub of something, potentially not taking into account the the feelings and issues of the of the people around you to get an outcome. I think that happens regularly. I, I think the best and most effective leaders I've ever met when they make those mistakes will often come back to the people that they've put undue pressure on and either apologize or make them aware that it wasn't an oversight. It was just human error and that you've learned from it. And um, it's rare, but I've had bosses that have been very apologetic about their behavior and said, it's unacceptable. They shouldn't have done it, but it's always after the fact, but at least they're practicing what I think is another skill that, are, that that definitely has communication at its core, and that's being self-reflective, being able to look at what you do in your practice and then accept some feedback and not just accept feedback, but actively seek it will make you a better communicator. Because if, if you create a space where people feel safe enough to discuss and give you genuine feedback, 
that's how you that's how I think leaders excel in their practice but you have to be able to as a leader also wear the feedback that's coming back because it's not always going to be pretty and it's always how you couch it I mean if somebody says give me some feedback you're not going to go in with a with a sledgehammer you try and be diplomatic but if you're fed income, I think that's the best kind of feedback, at least from my perspective. So uh, yeah, interest, interested, Joe. And again, we're making some good links here about what in your experience are roadblocks to good communication. So you, you've been out in the world, you've consulted, you've built your own business. I think from what I've seen of what you do, you you straddle the entrepreneur, leader, dynamics you're somewhere in the middle there i think you're doing both and it'd be interesting wearing the multiple hats that you do to get some sense of what you believe are roadblocks to to better communication i think just uh, having uh, you know what we call a beginner's mind so like continually learning continually seeing leadership as a growth um, journey we've talked about also you know being getting comfortable with ambiguity and then in that leadership journey, I think it's recognizing that it's not just about training the brain, you know, um, the sort of field of mindset work in leadership has really taken leaps and bounds in, um, you know, the last decade, definitely. But it's, you know, off the back of obviously decades of, um, you know, other interesting research. But there's just this uh, general idea that now that it's not just about the cognitive it's around you know also looking at you know the neural wiring and how we reprogram you know all of our habits and then it's you know um, down to also you know research on how we um, recognize emotion as leaders and feel that in our body um, and, and all of these sorts of things that typically you, <laughs> you wouldn't uh, find yourself talking about in the workplace are becoming more um, sort of uh um, conversations that people are, and leaders are willing to engage in. Uh, I think another aspect would also be, um, you know, if you're not a good coach as a leader, I think then um, that's a big roadblock. And I say, I think learning the skills of good coaching, good coaching is good communication from a leadership, leadership standpoint and uh, the ability to um, no, that you know that skill allows you to know when to be directive, know when to be collaborative, know how to draw uh, the best out of people by you know um, working with their strengths, but then also opening up to them for the potential for you know improvement in certain areas, um, etc. I think it's just a it's a skill that there's been plenty of training programs around for many years, but my observation is lots of people get trained in it but leaders don't spend enough time actually practicing it. And it's in that practicing of that on a regular basis that you develop this um, skill that can change your game as a leader, but it can significantly uh, impact in a positive way your, you know, the people that you're leading. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the coaching, uh, being a good coach is, is being a good communicator and, and hope, hopefully better leader into the future. And I've the, the privilege of being able to talk to a few people that have worked as coaches in that, in that sporting realm. One thing that I'm interested in there, and, and you've brought it up, so I'll maybe tease this out a little bit in your thinking as well, is when you look at coaches that are coaching a-grade teams like professional athletes, they're no longer coaching and developing physical attributes and making them the best 
physical specimens for the team. They're coaching to get a team to gel and be coherent. And maybe this is another research PhD for someone, or if it's already, maybe it's already been done is doing the deep dive into what is good and bad communication and coaching in that team setting with professionals. Because if you've got everything else taken care of as, as these athletes have been on the come up and they are a great athletes, then what is the coach's role other than to get them to be great at being communicators? I come, come from a sort of a background where I've not sort of been big in team sports. That's so the more individual sports. Um, but I, I certainly connect with or understand what you're, you're talking about. But that still plays true in, you know, highest levels of corporate coaching or transition coaching, career coaching and those types of things is essentially what we're looking at there is what are the elements of mindset and how's mindset worked. So when you said that the, you know, these um, elite athletes are, you know, they're, they're prime, they're, you know, physically they're, you know, operating at their peak, but then it's, uh, you know, the microsecond decisions or it's the this or the that that's the difference between good and like um, world-class right and so a a lot of that work and I do have a a friend that um, you know does this sorts of team coaching in the A-League there so having talking to him that's where they go is what are the elements of mindset both individually and as a team that are holding them back from next level and that is an unpacking of you know how we make our stories that then form our beliefs that then drive our behaviors and then you know it's the behaviors that we're looking for that sort of driving the outcome and so in even in an organizational setting we've done some you know work recently with a large client here in Australia that was looking very much at sales performance around coach you know mindset and coaching around mindset and taking that to that next level I I think what leaders you know my observation in in the last couple of years working around this is that leaders are probably a little bit scared to coach they think that it maybe might open a can of worms especially if you start to get into the area of mindset right yes there's considerations there you know around appropriateness of you know what level you would go to for you know obvious reasons around depending on you know where your team are at in their own mental health and you know the pressure that they're under and all of those types of things but if you've had permission and engagement from that person to explore those aspects of mindset they can be the real performance you know enhancers when you get to that level to understand what's stopping you uh, stopping you and so even the coaching that I receive personally and I invest heavily in coaching for myself is really learning to see uh, your blind spots, uh, learning to see it from a different things from a different perspective, change your narrative, and then have the courage to take the next step to you know doing something a little bit differently. And these can be very small changes, or they can be you know large scale. But um, if you've got the right tools and you know create that right environment and good coaching, um, education, and training, and learning how to be a coach should teach you that then you should create, be able to create a very safe environment where you can go into that, that territory and it not be too difficult. But I think people are very wary of going there at the moment because they feel unequipped. Thank you for sharing some really good points, particularly around coaching. It comes up a lot in the most more recent discussions I've had on leadership topic areas and I cover a fair few, but 
yeah, the leader as a coach, the leader as a mentor, the leader as a teacher, they're all very different. Each has a level of risk and each also brings a level of trust from the leader to either their team or trust from the leader in those that are acting in those roles for them. So if you've got a mentor, if you've got a coach, or if you've got someone that's also a coach or mentor slash teacher, then you have to have some degree of, of openness and an ability to change your mind on things. And mindset is an area that I'm not that familiar with, but I'm hearing it a lot more as I go along. And um, a good percentage of the people that I'm talking to happen to work in the consulting space around leadership. And they're, they're all bring that up in one form or another. And it's, it's interesting to me where that uh, rabbit warren can go in terms of mindset and uh, how that links to things for me in a practical sense, like what does your leadership practice look like? Is it effective? Is it adaptive? Are you only as good a leader as you want to be for that role? And then you, when you look for another one, it needs to match that. Like, how do you, how do you keep, de- what I'm meaning to say is how do you keep developing yourself and that drive that some people have to be what I believe is truly lifelong learners versus long learners for the sake of it to fill a gap somewhere as opposed to being, uh, for example, someone who's prepared to look at the latest literature and research in an area of leadership that they get claim expertise in. What's the latest thinking around teams and high-performing teams? What's the latest research or practice around mindsets and leadership like this? I think that kind of uh, approach separates the good from the very good to those who are elite when you're talking about leadership. So yeah, could not agree with, could not disagree with anything that you said there, mate. Now, final question, and, and this is, I can't escape this. I tried to, but it has to be, I have to ask this communication in, in the pre COVID and COVID world. Now this is your area of expertise. So I'm relying on you to draw on that expertise because that's what you have. And I don't. So in a few uh, summary sentences, what do you believe that world of leader comms look like pre COVID and has COVID now changed anything in your mind or is it, is it business as usual? It, um, definitely it's changed. So pre-COVID, you know, I, I think the sorts of conversations that we're having, people are trying to look at how to improve leader communication in their organisations. Um, there was a lot more analogue, let's say, work, you know, face-to-face, right? That's the obvious one. And we had to shift very quickly to digital channels. You know, so myself, I was, you know, spending sort of at least 50% of my time in Asia you know, doing face-to-face work and all of that. And border controls come down, you can't do that anymore. So what it presented was a way of how do you communicate and engage other humans and collaborate in this um, digital um, digital world. I think the lessons that I've uh, learned and the team have learned through this um, period is, yes, you can uh, drive much more effective communication than we used to via sort of our digital online models so you know we're using collaborative tool sets to kind of you know drive uh, team planning or you know team check-ins or stand-ups definitely that agile way of working is becoming a lot more prevalent but I think what's what I'm observing and I'm not sure I know exactly the 100% the answer to this but the my observation is that coming off you know towards this end of year two of uh, COVID People are sort of testing the water in their organisations about going back into work, mixing sort of hybrid models of, you know, some people on, you know, the phones or, you know, or on Zoom at home or on Microsoft Teams and then other people in the 
in the uh, boardroom at the, the office or what have you, that is proving very difficult because the, you know, people that, you know, you need to have a really good facilitator that can then kind of draw the people in out the, the digital channel and then get them you know, interacting at the same level of the people in the room. So at the moment, we're kind of playing around with it. Is it either or, you know, if you do it, if you're going to collaborate in that way, everybody is on that sort of digital uh, you know, channel and working in that way. Or do we make sure that we're we can do it when we're all available to be to, together? But you know, adding to that, I think there's such high levels of disengagement at the moment. There's almost like this. How would I explain it? It's like this general malaise, really, around and, and uh, you know the volume of change and fatigue. I, I think there's very low levels of motivation in organisations. People are sort of just very tired after you know the the, the last two years. And so I think the leader that's aware of that in their team, I think then it's, you know, part of that journey is really, you know, how do I re-engage, you know, recast the vision and uh, paint that vision. So the, the, the tools of storytelling and all of those types of communication tools and techniques, they're all, you know, the same. They haven't changed. It's just that we're applying them in different contexts and, you know, ambiguous sometimes, you know, you don't know when the next lockdown might be or you've planned your flight to get the group together in Sydney or Melbourne or wherever it might be. And then, you know, you kind of have this inkling in the back of your mind, well, you know, someone could get sick or they're in lockdown or what have you, and we might have to cancel our plan, you know, a day out or something like that. So I think fundamentally there though, that humans are social beings and there was research done pre COVID around this from, you know, McKinsey and, you know, others like this, where we're increasing our ways of working in digital ways, but we still need, uh, we function in analog ways as human beings, as in, in our brains haven't evolved as quickly as the tech is evolving. You know, Moore's law of adoption is like going up exponentially, but our little human brains are sort of like trying to play catch up. And so I think there's going to be some rebalancing. Maybe I don't see it going back 100% to, you know, people traveling as much as they used to i think there's great benefits in work-life balance and you know all of those sorts of things but certainly that needs to be sort of top of mind in planning especially strategic communication and planning is how that uh, looks and how we're going to facilitate that human interaction so that we can re-engage and set direction and get that motivation back to you know heading in the direction we're wanting to head Oh, you've raised so many cans of worms there. We could <laughs> we could keep going on. Uh, so many of them. Yeah, I, I can't find myself disagreeing. I, I think the the that argument around all in one way of working or all in a hybrid way of working. I think that discussion is so new and fresh at the moment that I think there's an underlying potential fear from organizations that if they don't become flexible, they're going to lose key staff or they're going to fail to attract some good people. Now that I think that's a legitimate fear, but also I think the workforce has clued up that they can still deliver and be good at what they do. They don't necessarily need to be present. Now that that stuff to one side I don't think, and, and you made this point, I think it's a great one, 
we're, we're social creatures. We want to be around other human beings. And the, the fascinating bit about what you've just raised in my mind is what are those researchers that looked into team performance now going to do when the function and cohesion of teams has now been influenced to the degree that it has by technology and by a pandemic where you simply can't leave a region physically. And so you have to go back to plan B. And I think what caught some companies out is we refused to look at a plan B. And when the proverbial started hitting the fan, they just had to do it. And right. it's a, it's a rude awake. I think it was a rude awakening for some, but in others, I would assume here that in the IT space that people that work in IT and, and communications could maybe see this coming and were prepared anyway because there were systems there like Teams and Zoom and other ways to communicate. I'm, I'm making assumptions here, but I would think that those that are working in those areas kind of were prepped for that better than some others. Is that is that fair call? Yeah, I, I definitely think the uh, tech industry uh, was at an advantage moving into COVID from that perspective. Many people have been working in that way already. Uh, to you know, but um, probably maybe in the office a little bit more, but it was still a part of the mix. It's a fear, I think, for a lot of organisations. There's uh, certainly, you know, in Australia, there's you know a, a um, squeeze on talent at the moment in the market, and um, just trying to attract and retain talent is difficult. But I, I think that as a leader, you kind of need to be clear on what sort of you know, behaviours and, and practices support the culture that you're trying to create. And that's going to be unique to each context and each organisation and each team. Uh, and so that's part of the, the leader's job to sort of decipher and figure out what that mix looks like. The discussion about what works best in an organisation will be unique to that organisation. But I think where the approach to what process are you going to undertake to unpack what that looks like, those can be generic enough that organizations mm -hmm. of different sizes can say, well, right, what, what resources do we need to get to, together to plan what the workspace in the future is going to look like? And unfortunately, there are some industries where this conversation, if I was having this with a nurse, a doctor, a fiery, SES, a cop, all critical jobs done by amazing human beings. You can't do them on bloody Zoom. You can't mm. triage someone who's in a car accident and go, let's just join you on Zoom and see what I can. That, that, that's not going to happen. So there are, in some contexts, I think the reality of this is in some occupations, it's never going to be the option of first choice because of the nature of the work. And I think in the manufacturing sector, that is going to play havoc with some systems because you need some people on a production mm. line, but on others you don't. And I've, I've had some feedback from some discussions with those that have been in the in that um, production line uh, uh, logistics game for quite some time that understanding who is critical to production and who uh, is not so critical is a difficult thing to go through in your mind but it's something that some bigger organizations have had to deal with and um, it's a continual conversation around this thing called communication that if you don't get that stuff right people will walk and uh, it opened my thinking up when when you were talking before Joe around this idea of that great uh, the great resignation and that, mm. that people are looking for companies that are prepared to have that chat about what does appropriate work-life balance look for me look like for me and are you prepared to negotiate what that looks like is that is that something you're yeah. hearing seeing yeah yeah absolutely yeah 
I think that, you know, at a personal level, all of us have been impacted in some way through COVID. And I think for a lot of us that maybe took the time to sit down and take a breather in it somewhere in there, we had a chance or a moment to reflect and, you know, how do we create meaning? What, what do we want out of, you know, life? Is it working for us? And obviously work being such a huge part of, you know, what we, uh, the time that we, um, we, we take during the week, it's an important question. And so I think a lot of people are questioning that. A lot of people in my network have moved around during that period. Uh, so there's a lot of shuffling of decks. So those were maybe people that were sort of looking for new meaning, new opportunities. Um, but then there's a lot of people that are still, kind of a bit more keen on sort of stability during that time and just bunkered down in the roles that they were in in those organisations. There's no right or wrong uh, to that. It's just sort of an observation around, you know, how people respond differently to change when it presents it to them. But, um, yeah, seeing a lot of that great resignation and I think it's a, you know, I have heard it said by sort of other coaches and commentators uh, around this that, you know, many people sort of believe we're heading into sort of the roaring 20s, you know, so you've got all this sort of chaos that's gone on after World War One, and, you know, not drawing historical parallels or anything like that, um, but in, in terms of, except at a high level to say, you know, we've had this massive change that sort of no one was necessarily expecting. It uh, impacted us more than we we thought, um, but, uh, you know, there's great opportunity ahead. A lot of people are feeling that, but then there's also, you know, it just depends on on the story or the worldview you're coming from, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree, mate. It's um, it, people will be writing books about this COVID impact on the world of work for decades to mm. come, each with, with a slightly diff, different view and definitely some um, some opportunities coming out of this. But I, I can understand too why some people have have bunkered down as well. I I get it. I've just it, it makes for interesting discussions around the leadership topic as well as the communication topic because the again like like we said at the start of the discussion there's some intricate links between different leader capabilities and comms mm-hmm. is always going to be in that mix to one degree or another so joe thank you for your time today mate pleasure it's been fun thanks for having me Eric. Yeah. no worries for those listening i've been speaking to joe ringer this is the talking leadership podcast thanks for following and for supporting what i'm doing here be safe and we'll catch you all on the next podcast